and the result was a 70% reduction in traffic accidents in 16 to 18 year old drivers. How do we expect more innovation, more breakthroughs, more impactful leaders in our society if none of our youth are trained on thinking outside the box, finding many solutions to the problems we face, and trying to take risks in order to solve these problems? I've talked a lot about the faultiness of modern education. From my perspective, we are failing contemporary students through the current methods of learning and development. We're not using the proper tools and techniques backed up by cutting edge science to best nurture our youth and prepare them for a world of constant disruption via exponential technologies. In this podcast episode, which could very well be longer than most, I want to detail every aspect of what Education 2.0 should contain, what it should do away with, and some possible on-ramps to achieving this monumental feat of civilizational reconstruction. Let's start with the biggest thing that needs to go, early wake-up times. Sleep cannot be underestimated in its importance for daily functionality and brain development. We are radically disservicing our youth in this domain. Most mornings in schools are riddled with students who suffer from these problems. They don't want to be there, they fall asleep in class, they can't pay attention, and worse, we think that this is an inevitable part of schooling and growing up. In fact, we condemn these students, and I was one of them, as lazy, as undisciplined, and then give them bad grades and even hold them back. Early wake-up times severely detriment students, and there's plenty of data to back this up. I am ripping this paragraph directly out of Why We Sleep by Matt Walker to show the madness of the education system regarding sleep. More than 80% of public high schools in the U.S. begin before 8.15 a.m. Almost 50% of those start before 7.20 a.m. School buses for the 7.20 a.m. start time start picking kids up around 5.45 a.m. Children and teens are forced to wake up at 5.30 a.m., 5.15 a.m., or even earlier, five days a week for years. Moreover, chronic sleep deprivation is concerning specifically because adolescence is the most susceptible phase of life for developing chronic mental illnesses, such as depression, anxiety, schizophrenia, and suicidality. REM sleep, or rapid eye movement sleep, the deeper sleep necessary for proper brain function and creativity, is the line that stands between rationality and insanity. And, since the sleeping stage occurs at the latter end of overall sleep, when we wake up students for early school times, we are ripping away these core tenets of stable mental states and development. Furthermore, children with longer sleep times develop superior IQ by sleeping merely 40 to 50 minutes longer. And this isn't just for learning, it's for living as well. A school in Wyoming shifted their start times from 7.35 a.m. to 8.55 a.m. And the result was a 70% reduction in traffic accidents in 16 to 18 year old drivers. To pin the nail on the head, it's not just school that's failing students. Parents are failing students equally, if not more. A poll conducted by the National Sleep Foundation found that 70% of parents believe their child gets enough sleep, when in reality, Less than 25% of children aged 11 to 18 get enough sleep. Thus, Education 2.0 must do away with early wake-up times. Of course, this is no easy task because not just school, but the entirety of society must transform as well to meet this accommodation. Parents who are used to dropping their children off and picking them up according to this 9 to 5 routine will be impacted most. However, this is a necessary and uncomfortable situation we must contend with as the retainment of knowledge, the acquisition of new skills, and even the need for social connections all diminish if one is tired and uninterested. Here's the biggest thing that has to adapt in school, grading. The binary, potentially life-altering method of passing or failing students is absurd. 
It forces them into bad habits like staying up late to study, taking drugs to study, cheating to pass, and more. The things we demonize people for, school forces students to do, just in order to obtain a grade on which their future is predicated on. But what other choice do we have other than grading? Here are some alternatives to grading which could enhance learning and prevent students from unhealthy studying practices in order to obtain the trivialities of grading. Number one is gamification. Gamification consists of taking paradigms from video games that work and applying them to the classroom. You know how in most games there are levels for you to pass and bosses to fight? There are no grades in this leveling up and advancing, just using your skills in a variety of ways in order to defeat whatever enemies and or puzzles to move on. This concept can be applied to school, where you must tackle problems in creative ways, avoiding the need for marks and instead utilizing the pass-fail methodology. Either you solve the problem, or you fail and you get more chances to try again. Like in video games, dying at the final boss doesn't mean you lose the entire game. You can still try again many times, incorporating different strategies and such in order to advance. Next is modified ungrading. This is one of my favorite possible alternatives to the traditional grading system. Instead of getting marks, you lose out on marks. Let me explain. Simply put, you start off with 100% and begin a conversation with a teacher or professor. Maybe you need more time for clarification on the assignment. Maybe it needs to be completely redone. Again, this requires time and space independent of the overall class, but it reduces the anxiety and narrowness of trying to accumulate grades, conforming to the system and not thinking creatively. You are able to do things in your own way and trying to find novelty in the assignment's parameters. Lastly are portfolios. Portfolios are a great way of showcasing evolution in any domain. Creating a list of projects and assignments and showing them to your teachers or professors would allow everyone to see where your strengths and weaknesses lie. It can provide a holistic view on your growth during the class and give more data back to the faculty on what is working and what is not. This is a win-win for both faculty and students, which should be utilized more often. Creativity is the most important skill in the 21st century. With redundant labor being relinquished from both physical and cognitive workers, the need for honing creativity in youth and getting them to think in non-linear fashions has never been more pertinent. Of course, school hasn't a smidgen of creativity. But what do I mean by creativity? Why does school fail in this regard? And how should it adopt more creative practices? By creativity, I simply mean the generation of novel ideas to solve problems, communicate solutions, and interact with the environment, whether the environment consists of people, animals, tools, or computers. The genesis of creativity can be found early on, where children can make up playful scenarios and entertain themselves and others, and hopefully their parents, for hours at a time. Through pure output from their imagination, school eradicates any and all chances of outputting creativity in core classes, like math and science, instead forcing students into rudimentary thought patterns that teach them to think exactly like their peers. So what must schools do to enhance creativity? Here we turn to one of my favorite books, The Runaway Species by David Eagleman. In fact, he has an entire chapter dedicated towards detailing how the creative school should function. First, give students tools and instructions and then let them figure it out. David Eagleman gives the example of learning how electricity works by assembling a flashlight. However, this exercise would usually stop once the flashlight is built. Instead, make building the flashlight the first part of the exercise and force students to abstract what they've just learned about the flashlight and apply it to other machines, like a fan, or ask the students to come up with a new machine entirely. Giving students a solid foundation and then allowing them to proceed according to their own imagination is a fundamental building block for their overall careers. Second, generate many solutions, not just one. For classes like mathematics or even business leadership, 
The problems you encounter are abundant and seem to be, at least in order to get good grades, binary in scope. Either the answer is correct or it isn't. This leads students to think in similar ways because they don't want to risk going outside the box and failing the exercise, test, exam, and overall class. What if this wasn't the case? Instead, what if students were forced to think about many alternative answers than the default? Allowing students the freedom from strict grading and giving them time and space to conjure up novel solutions is a lifelong skill that can be applied to many different domains. Last but certainly not least, force students to take risks. Again, going back to grades, school is a place of incredible opportunity but contains a severe lack of slack. Either you directly conform to the system, or you don't. The former gets you good grades, the latter gets you confused, marginalized, alienated, and shamed upon by family and friends because of bad grades. This is ludicrous and speaks to the cookie-cutter nature of school. Risks must be taken in all facets of life. We must encourage youth and get them used to taking risks, not worrying too much about failing and teaching them about calculating risks and the rewards that could come with them. How do we expect more innovation, more breakthroughs, more impactful leaders in our society if none of our youth are trained on thinking outside the box, finding many solutions to the problems we face, and trying to take risks in order to solve these problems. We talk about global collapse and it feels like all the externalities are uncontrollable for individuals and societies. It feels like we are simply unable to solve the existential crises at our doorstep. We have the solutions already and they're in the classroom waiting to be taught. Students just need the allowance of creative thinking and they will flourish. Personalization must be added in schools. Schools do not teach students how to think, they teach students what to think. The distinction is key here because school is not a place you come to learn, it's a place you go to have information thrown at you. Whether the information is relevant to you, whether it's relevant in general, whether you care, it all doesn't matter. Either you absorb it or you don't. Either you pass the class or you don't. Simple as that, there's no getting around it. But what if school had a different approach? What if school adopted the same technologies as social media? Personalized algorithms. Think about it. How much time do you spend on YouTube, TikTok, Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter? Hours upon hours each day for weeks and months and years on end. The amount of data these social sites have on you is vital to keep you hooked because the content you see isn't universal by any means. It's personalized to your specific taste to entice you to consume more. The power of artificial intelligence is already known, so why don't we apply the same technology to school? Personalize the entire goddamn curriculum. Make it incredibly dynamic and meaningful to learn something. Oh, you paid attention more to history than math? Let's give you some hardcore history podcasts. Oh, you enjoy working on chemistry projects with some physics problems? Let's introduce you to the career pathway of astrochemistry. The permutations of possible pathways for students are endless. And that's exactly the point I'm trying to make. We should not be forcing students into avenues that society deems worthy or important. We should hone their intrinsic skills and cultivate them as much as possible. Figuring out early on if a student is more technical or creative, more oriented to music than to machine learning, can save thousands of hours of time, money, and energy for students. Obviously, we cannot just add this in. This requires a total rewrite of how school is administered and functions. And that is the worst part about this. Without complete societal overhaul, this will not happen. So will this happen in the 21st century? It could, but we will lose a generation of students in order to transition. People usually refer to the lost generation of workers in relation to automation, and this is still true. 
Unfortunately, we may have to double up on this paradigm and start discussing how to ease the transition as comfortably and non-disruptively as possible. It's either we force the transition and lose one generation, or ease the transition slowly, providing subpar education to many generations. While both avenues have their pros and cons, I lean more towards losing an entire generation of workers and students and building back up from scratch with better technologies and a modular blueprint for future adaptations. Education in this century must adapt. It is up to us to demand change and point out the flaws in the system and offer guidance to our leaders on how to move forward. I believe that everyone benefits from a modernized, dynamic, personalized, and science-backed schooling system. Now we must make our voices heard for our students and youth and for the future of our species. Thanks for listening to the Gen Z Diplomat podcast. To support it, please subscribe to our YouTube channel and add it to your favorite podcatcher. Please check out our other social platforms on TikTok and Instagram. I firmly believe that the more we talk about what future we want, the more likely we are to build a future that we deserve. Thank you for listening to this episode, and I hope to see you next time.